Welcome to the Apostolic Keynote Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church. This message is by Colin Urquhart. Now, on Sunday, I spoke about how to read and study Mark's Gospel. And this morning's message is part two. Sunday was part one, so I do encourage you to download the first part, if you weren't there on Sunday, to hear it. I'm going to give a quick five-minute resume of it now for the benefit of those who weren't there and also for the benefit of all the people that uh, listen to this message through the Internet and who may therefore not have heard Sunday's message. Each of the four Gospels is different, and we need to approach them all differently if we want to get the full meaning out of them. And we know, for example, John's Gospel is different from the other three Gospels, but Mark is different from Matthew and Luke. Matthew and Luke contain a lot of teaching. It seems, at first, that there isn't that much teaching in Mark's Gospel. There's no long passages of teaching like the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel or the Sermon on the Plain in Luke's Gospel. But the teaching is there, the message is there. And I'll explain uh, at the end this morning how it is that uh, we can uh, understand this. What we have to realize is that it seems on the face value that Mark is just a series of events with little bits of teaching thrown in for good measure. Things that Jesus did, much more than things that he said. But the message of the gospel is there in what he did. And the Holy Spirit has very carefully crafted this gospel. Mark was really inspired by the Holy Spirit to bring an unfolding revelation of Jesus. And then, and this is where we're going to focus this morning because there wasn't time on Sunday to do much of this, then to see how that is to impact our lives and our ministries to be an extension of the ministry of Jesus. It's all there in Mark's Gospel. So I can't do the full sort of explanation of the first three or four chapters like I did on Sunday, but just very quickly, Jesus, of course, lived for 30 years without, as far as we know, preaching or teaching or healing or delivering anybody from bondage. He waited for the Father's timing when the Holy Spirit came upon him. The name he was given when he was born was Jesus, not Christ. Christ, or Messiah, means the Anointed One. So Jesus waited for the anointing before he began his ministry. Now the first thing that the Spirit, that the anointing led him to do, was to go into the wilderness. 
And we can just look at this at a natural level. There is Jesus in the wilderness, fasting 40 days and nights, being tempted by the devil. But what we realize, if you understand, Mark, is that behind every event there is a spiritual truth. Jesus is being sent by the Holy Spirit into the spiritual wilderness of the world. And the spiritual wilderness of the world is the territory of the devil because the whole world is under the power of the evil one. He is the prince of this world. And uh, the spirit of the world is what grips the lives of unbelievers. So the Holy Spirit is leading Jesus out into the devil's territory. Now, of course, what Jesus did in the physical, in the natural realm is clear, but its significance is spiritual. So in that place, he was tempted to use the anointing for himself rather than to overcome the enemy. The enemy wanted to do anything he could to try to undermine the reason why God had sent his son and anointed him with the Spirit. Jesus, of course, resisted all those temptations, and there's no time to go into them now. Then he began his ministry, and the proclamation he made right at the beginning was, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. Now, that is a a dynamic statement. It's a key statement because everything that God does in our lives is the result of repentance and or faith. Nothing happens in our lives without repentance or faith. So it's not just this is the way people come to the Lord, but this is the way people live because they belong to the Lord. So then we see uh, Jesus calling the first of the disciples, and uh, we'll leave that for the moment. We'll come, come back to that. But what we notice is that the disciples left their nets, these first four fishermen that were called. They had to leave everything else behind to focus on the mission. Jesus was sent with a mission. He is our apostle, the one who was sent with a mission but he was including these four fishermen in his mission. And all those that he calls to be disciples are incorporated into the mission of Jesus. So as the body of Christ, we are part of that mission here on earth. Now, the series of events in his ministry begins. It says in verse 21 of first chapter, that he went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. Right now, hold on to this word authority, because it's a key word to understand the Gospel of Mark. The teaching of Jesus was on a totally different level from anything that the people had ever heard. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, in their teaching, they never taught with such authority. And the people could understand, they could detect, this man is speaking 
with a kind of authority we have never heard. Now, immediately, uh, we see in verse 23, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out. He recognized that Jesus was the Holy One. Even though the religious leaders didn't recognize who Jesus was, the demons knew who he was. And immediately, Jesus begins not just to speak with authority, but to exercise authority. So the first thing that we see in the ministry of Jesus is that he overcomes the demonic powers. He has the authority over the demonic powers that are at work in the world. He is sent into the wilderness of the world. He has the authority to overcome whatever is in the world. Again, the people were amazed. What is this, a new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to evil spirits, and they obey him. Now, then we come to uh, the fact that Jesus not only delivered people, but he healed them. There was this uh, occasion when uh, there was a great healing move one evening, verse 32 of chapter 1. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons that he would not and would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. He didn't want the truth of who he was to be proclaimed by demons, but by disciples. So here we see th these real events, people getting healed, but what's the spiritual significance in the way that this is presented? Because um, Mark puts this very much earlier than we, we see in, in the other Gospels. The significance is that Jesus comes not only to overcome with the spiritual power that God sent him, but he came to heal people spiritually, not just physically. His whole ministry is a healing ministry. Uh, I, I've never liked the idea of people having healing ministries, deliverance ministries, because actually anybody who preaches the gospel has a healing ministry. Anybody who is a leader or an elder in the church has a healing ministry. Any believer who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ has a healing ministry. It's not something that is confined to a, a single group of people. Then we see Jesus going off and praying by himself, and we know how vital that, that relationship of prayer was that he had with the Father. Uh, but then we come to the healing of the man with leprosy. Now, this is the first one that, that approaches him and, and, and asks for healing. How did Jesus heal him? With a word of authority. Be clean. So here is a man with leprosy. He is cleansed of his leprosy. But the significance of this event in this gospel is much greater than that. Because the first thing that needs to happen to bring people into the kingdom in response to repentance and faith is that their lives are made clean. Now, before they can be belong to the gospel, they have to be cleansed of all their sins. So this is certainly a, a physical thing that happens, but the significance of it 
is that God says to all those who turn to him, all those who come to him, be clean. And what his purpose is for every one of our lives is that we live clean lives, creating me a clean heart of God and renew a right spirit within me. So we have to move, move on very quickly. The next thing that happens is the healing of a paralytic. Now, you, this was the man who was let down through the roof, you remember. And the first thing that Jesus said to him is, your sins are forgiven you. This is a physical thing that actually happened. The event took place, but there's a spiritual significance that is beyond and behind this event. That what the scripture is saying to us is that sin paralyzes people. It's not necessarily saying this man has paralysis as a result of a sin. It's the effect of sin in the life of any believer or non-believer. Spiritually, it causes paralysis. So before healing the man, he cleanses him of his sin. Your sins are forgiven you. Now, again, the Pharisees are outraged at this because they think nobody has authority. Here's this word authority again. Nobody has authority to forgive sins except God alone. So to the Pharisees, Jesus was doing what only God could do. Well, of course, if they recognized who he was, they would have seen it was appropriate for him to forgive sins. But of course, what Jesus was to teach the disciples later, that they were, had the authority to forgive sins. Whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whoever sins you retain, they are retained. So here is the developing authority, developing uh, reason for the Father sending Jesus. He is going to set people free from their uncleanness, spiritually as well as physically. He's going to set them free from their paralysis, spiritually as well as physically. Then, of course, having healed the man of his spiritual paralysis, he heals him of his physical paralysis. Then we have the calling of Levi, of Matthew. We'll come to that when we talk about the disciples a little later. Then there's a, actually a little passage of teaching. This is really the first passage of teaching. Uh, and here in verse 21 of chapter 2, Jesus says, No one sews a, a patch of unclean cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. Now, <coughs> Uh, and the same with the wineskins, you know, you, you don't put new wine in an old wineskin because it'll crack and you'll lose the, both the wineskin and the wine. So, <clears throat> what's the significance of this? That in Jesus being sent to clean up people's lives, to set them free from their spiritual paralysis, to bring healing and deliverance into their lives uh, as we, we have already seen. This is not a matter of improving their lives, but of making them completely new. That the old has to go and the new has to come. Just like Paul was to teach, you know, the old has gone, the new has come. But Jesus was teaching this long before Paul ever thought of it. So uh, it isn't a question of 
trying to put the new life of Jesus onto the old life. The old life has to go completely, and then you can have the new life. Then we have <clears throat> the controversy about the Sabbath, because Jesus heals people on the Sabbath. And again, the Pharisees are outraged at this, because to their minds, nobody should have the authority to do that on the Sabbath day. Uh, but Jesus says to them in chapter 3, verse 4, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? So he is proving that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, what healing happens here? A man with a withered arm. And Jesus says, stretch out the arm, and, and he's immediately healed. But this is in the context of the synagogue on the Sabbath. What's the spiritual reality behind this? That religious legalism and formalism causes people to spiritually wither. They might have all the right vocabulary, they might have all the right uh, appearance, but in reality, they spiritually wither. But Jesus has the power to set people free from all of that. And praise God, I've seen thousands of people that were spiritually withering set free uh, as a result of repentance and faith, having heard the gospel. Praise the Lord. Are you still with me? Okay, now, we then have um, <clears throat> the fact that the anointing always attracts people gather around the anointing. When I began my ministry after I left Luton, as a traveling ministry, my intention was never to build anything, but just to fulfill the commission that God was giving me to go and travel. But you see, around the anointing, people began to gather. gather and everything that is now kingdom faith is the result of how people began to gather around that anointing. The personal anointing then becomes a corporate anointing. But that's another story. We can't get into all that. But you see, wherever there is anointing, the people gather. And it's, it's true today. People hear of something of an anointed uh, way happening, and, and, and off they are to, to, off they go to, to see what it is that's actually taking place. Now, <clears throat> here we've, we find that... Um, uh, People came to him from all over the place, and he healed them. But it says in verse 11 of chapter 3, Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. He gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Now notice, the evil spirits fell down before him. That the spiritual reality is that this Jesus, with his authority, has authority over all the powers of the evil one. What was he to say to the disciples later? I give you authority over all the power of the evil one. Nothing will harm you. So that's simply an extension of his ministry. All we are called to do is to continue Jesus' ministry in the world. Now, none of us will have the fullness of that. We, the body of Christ together fulfills the ministry of Jesus. The body of Christ together continues his ministry in the world. So he 
he appoints the 12 apostles. Now, at this point, of course, the Spirit is going to go with them to enable them to fulfill what Jesus is wanting them to do, but the Spirit is not in them. And, of course, the, the Father gave him the, the, um, the names of those who, who were to, to be uh, numbered among the 12. Now, Jesus was being accused by his opponents of acting in the name of the devil. And uh, if you look at um, verse 23, Jesus uh, spoke to the people in parables and said, how can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. Now, what Jesus is saying is these Pharisees are guilty of an eternal sin because they accused him of overcoming these demonic powers in the name of the devil, in the name of Beelzebub. Whereas, in fact, he was overcoming Beelzebub. He wasn't acting in the name of Beelzebub. So it explains in verse 30, he said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. That is blasphemy that will not be forgiven. Now, <clears throat> then we've, we find another spiritual reality that Jesus redefines family. In the natural, we all understand family. Mother, father, children, you know, brothers, sisters, cousins, and all the rest of it. We understand family. But Jesus, behind our natural families, there is a spiritual family. And what he wants people to understand is that all those who become his followers, who become disciples, become part of that spiritual family. And in fact, this is now their identity. Their identity is, first and foremost, that they belong to the spiritual family, and that is even more important than belonging to the natural family. Because the natural family is actually to be subject to God in his purposes for that family. And it's important that the head of the family uh, actually instills that into the whole of the family for, for which he is responsible. So, you know, his mother and brothers come to him because uh, he's pressed into this house and, and uh, he's forgotten all about dinner. He's so taken up with what he's doing with the people. And, and they're, they're really concerned about him. You know, he, he's just going over the top. He's doing this, this spiritual stuff all the time. That's how they would have perceived it. But then Jesus points to those who are around him and says, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Here is a new family. The family of God is not a collection of natural families. The family of God are those who do the will of God. 
They are his brother, sister, mother. And that, of course, puts Mary in her rightful place. Mary is to be honored as uh, the mother of Jesus, but she is not to be worshipped, she is not to be prayed for, she too, she's not an intermediary between God and us. She is not our mother. Very clear in Scripture. Now we come to the parable of the sower. It's taken me a bit longer to get here <laughs> than I intended this morning. The parable of the sower, of course, is very significant because it shows the different ways in which people respond to the gospel. The spiritual reality behind this is that people have different hearts. The hard heart that rejects the gospel, the superficial heart that at first receives because probably they get healed or there's some blessing, but there's no depth. There's no depth of the word. There's no depth of faith. There's no depth of commitment. So as soon as they, the going gets tough, those people give up. There are others who are seeking perhaps to live as disciples and to follow Jesus, but they make the mistake of having brought their nets with them. Uh, instead of being like the first disciples who left their nets and everything else that was going to be contrary to the purpose of God, uh, there are those who still are concerned about the things of the world, the, the, uh, the, the deceitful, deceitfulness of wealth and the concerns of the world, Jesus said. You see, they have not, in their, in their lifestyle, separated themselves from the lifestyle of the world and adopted the lifestyle of the kingdom. So if they are to be the disciples that God wants, then that separation is necessary so that they become the good fruit, the, sorry, the good soil that bears the fruit 30 times, 60 times, 100 times what is sown. That means that all those that are, have those good hearts faith-filled hearts, hearts of love for God, are going to impact at least 30 lives, minimum. Uh, doesn't mean they're going to be evangelists that will bring 30 people to the law, but they will have a significant impact upon at least 30, or 60, or 100, or 1,000, or as many more as you like. Now, <clears throat> that's as far as we got on Sunday. It's taking a bit more than five minutes, isn't it? What is the consequence of this? The people that are the good soil, are the light of the world. Jesus came as the light, but his intention was to make his disciples the light of the world. He said to them, I am the light of the world. Then he said later, you are the light of the world. And so he says that they are like a lamp that is not put under a bowl to be hidden, but it's put on a lampstand where it can give light to the whole house. So in verse 22 of chapter 4, Jesus says, For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is the spiritual reality. Jesus is not just talking about what happens physically in the natural realm. He's saying, right, now, those who are faithfully following me, those who are the good soil, they are the light of the world. And because they are the light of the world, they're going to prosper. They will give their lives, they will lay down their lives for others, and I will measure back to them, good measure, 
Because they give, they will receive even more. But those who don't give, they will lose even what they have. Amen? This is uh, what Jesus was, of course, to repeat later on uh, at Caesarea Philippi in, in another way. So then we have um, a couple of parables. Uh, Mark records some of the parables, but as we know, he doesn't record a, a lot of the teaching. But the parables, of course, are parables of the kingdom, and what he gives us here is parables of growth. So this good seed that are the light of the world have the seed of the kingdom within them, and that seed is going to grow up. Now, as that seed grows in their lives, so they become more and more authoritative. They will exercise more and more of the authority, just like Jesus. And because they exercise more of his authority, there will be a greater release of his power in their lives. So the anointing that is upon Jesus will be seen to be upon them as the body of Christ, as the family of God, as those who are doing the will of God. So what is, is made clear here is that the way in which the Holy Spirit operates in our lives to make us more like Jesus is not just to make us more like him in character, but to make him more like him in ministry also. So we are to be increasing in authority and increasing, therefore, in power, seeing God do more and more in our lives, through our lives, and in the lives of other people. And so he even uses the example of a mustard seed. What should we say the kingdom of God is like? Verse 30. Or what parable should we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants and with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. So uh, he, he is saying what starts as minute becomes something that others not just birds, but others, this is the spiritual reality, you see, behind the parable, that others will become able to rest in and feed from. They will become, these people will become the sustenance of the lives of many other people. Now, they are going to grow in authority. So now we have another exercise of the authority of Jesus. They're crossing the, um, the sea uh, of Galilee, and a storm arises, Jesus having a kip in the, in the back, uh, and um, he's not all that amused when they wake him up, because uh, he probably needed his rest. He was so busy. But what does he do? Quiet, be still, with just... A couple of words, the storm is stilled. What, what's all this about? The authority I give you as the disciples of Jesus has, a, has greater than the powers of the natural order of creation around you. That even you will be able to command the elements when that is necessary. And I could tell you of times when we have done that, and, 
amazing transformation has happened, even in the weather. <coughs> fog, thick fog, one occasion, disappeared like that because we rebuked it. We needed to get somewhere where God wanted us to be, and it was the fog. It used to have fog, fogs much thicker than we have now. The fog was so, so thick you literally could not see to drive. So God cleared. Nothing is impossible for those who have faith. Amen? So the spiritual authority that God gives us is greater than the natural order. Are you there? Yeah. Are you still with me? Yeah. Okay. So then we have uh, the healing of uh, a demon-possessed man. Now, this is the one legion. This is the one with many, many demons. And Jesus dismisses him. Uh, Mark doesn't actually say th this word. But he, he dismissed all these demons with one word, go. And the destructive nature of these demonic powers is seen by the fact that when they entered the pigs, the pigs ran into the sea and were all drowned. But that is a spiritual example of what happens when you do come against these demonic powers. They're killed. You don't just tell them to leave. You overcome them. You destroy them. Amen? Or at least the authority that you use enables them to become destroyed. Any believers in the room this morning? But you see, again, it's the exercise of that authority. Jesus is showing his disciples, this is how you do it, mates. This is the way that you are going to extend and continue my ministry when I have returned to heaven. Hallelujah. Now, the man who was set free wanted to go with Jesus. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Uh, it might be nice and comfortable for you to come and see me setting other people free, but now you are free. You go and set others free. You go and give testimony. You go and be my witness where people need me, where people need the truth. Again, this is the spiritual reality, you see. Wherever the Spirit of God moves, people gather, and they want to be like the people in the crowd, you know. They want to be there. They want to see all that Jesus is doing. And, and they will go from meeting to meeting, meeting to meeting, if you allow them. Instead of which Jesus says, no, now you know the truth. Go and share the truth. Go and be a witness. Go and take my life. Go and take that authority. Amen? He's sending them out just as uh, he himself was sent. And then we have um, this healing of um, Jairus' daughter. Now, two things happen. You know, there's, there's the woman who comes as he's on his way, um, the, the woman who'd, who'd had the issue of blood for 12 years, she gets healed on the way. Uh, meanwhile, Jairus' daughter dies. Now, what's the spiritual reality between, between, behind this? Whoever comes to Jesus and touches Jesus is going to receive his power. 
that's clearly meaning. But you see, this is the, um, in, the un, in the developing, unfolding revelation that Mark is giving, or God is giving through the Holy Spirit working through Mark. He overcomes not only demonic powers, he overcomes not only sickness, he overcomes not only the natural order, he overcomes death. And so even Jairus's daughter is raised uh, back to life. Amen? A spiritual reality. Praise God. Then if we, we, we've got to keep moving. If we go on to, to chapter 6, uh, we see that, that um, Jesus sends out the 12. Uh, he... he, he <laughs> It's this same, go, go, go. Go to the demons, you get lost, but go, disciples. In, in uh, the church building, uh, we used to, when, it, when it, we first uh, had the building, uh, it was much more, um, in, instead of the wall behind where the, the um, uh, soundboard is now, uh, there, there used to be a curtain. But above the curtain on that, it just had one word, go, dot, dot, dot. So every time people left the meeting, they saw this word, go, because that's what God was sending us to do. However we met with God, all the good things that he was doing for us in the meetings was so that then we go in his name. Uh, it was just a... A reminder, but when all the reconfiguring of the the um, building was done, we lost the word "go," but we still go. <laughs> Hallelujah! So, what did they do? In verse twelve of chapter six, they went out and preached that the people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. They're doing what Jesus did. Amen. Then we come to the feeding of the five thousand. This gospel is for everybody. It's for the thousands. The thousands will gather because of what is happening. But because the thousands gather does not mean the thousands will become disciples. Doesn't mean the thousands will repent and believe. They will admire, they will look, they will be interested, they will be entertained, and then they'll leave, many of them. But those who are faithful, those who will become disciples, are the ones who will remain. The interesting thing is that, of course, Jesus made the disciples serve the people. They saw that the disciples would have seen this miracle happening before them, that as much bread as they gave, they had even more. Now, 12 baskets were left over. Have you ever visualized these 12 baskets? I mean, I, I, were, were they sort of 12 shopping baskets? 12 picnic baskets? Now, wait a minute. They're out in a, a, a lonely place. Where are they going to get the baskets? Where are they going to get 12 baskets? Well, of course, they came across the sea in the boats, and the boats were 
fishing boats. And fishing boats have baskets in which they put the fish when they land. So these were not little baskets. These were 12 big fishing baskets. Somebody say hallelujah. <laughs> I mean, there, there, it wasn't just clearing up the little bits and pieces that are left over. There were 12 big fishing baskets full of food. Why? Because our God is a God of abundance. Yeah. And so the spiritual reality you see behind this is, if you feed the multitudes in my name, you will always have abundance. You see, the spiritual message is there. It's unfolding. It's developing all the way through this, this uh, um, gospel. Then we have Jesus walking on the water. And, of course, we know that Peter got out and, and walked on the water. Just as I overcome the natural elements, so in my name you will be able to overcome the, the natural elements. Oh, we've got to miss out some of these things <coughs> because there isn't time. But if we go on to, to chapter 7, verse uh, 24, we have the healing of the Syrophoenician woman. And this is significant in this unfolding, developing revelation. That yes, the gospel is for the multitudes, but not just for the multitudes of the Jews. The gospel is also for the Gentiles. So here is a Gentile woman. Uh, um, verse 25 of chapter 7. As soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born, of Syrian Phoenicia, born in Syria and Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. So, this is interesting, because what Jesus is doing is stating the sort of current attitude of Jews towards Gentiles, right? His mission was first and foremost to Israel because he was coming to fulfill the, the, the ministry of the Messiah. But of course the Messiah was for all the nations. That is clear in the Old Testament prophecies, but it wasn't really how most Jewish people think, thought. He is our Messiah. He's coming for Israel. He's coming to show that we are God's chosen people. The Gentiles are as dogs. They're not in the family of God. They're not among the chosen people. And amazingly, the woman agrees, yes, I'm just a dog compared with, with the Jews. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. Authority, the demon has left your daughter. But you see, what Jesus is doing here is showing this gospel is for Gentile as well as Jews. So this is the unfolding 
uh, truth uh, in this gospel. Yes, it's for the multitudes, but it's not just for the multitudes of the Jews. It's for the Gentiles as well. But it's for the Gentiles who believe, just as really it's only for the Jews who believe. Right now, uh, in, in the quick... Um, uh, analysis. What, what we can see now is Jesus heals a man who is deaf and mute. Behind the spiritual, behind the f the physical event is the spiritual reality. That what happens when people hear and receive the gospel is that they are healed of their spiritual deafness. And when you're healed of your spiritual deafness, you no longer become spiritually dumb. The faithful speak their faith. The faithful witness. How do you witness? You witness by what you say as well as by what you do. So this healing of people's lives uh, leads them to be able to hear the gospel, but also to speak the gospel. So all those that go, all those that are being sent, not just the apostles, but like the, the demoniac the legion that got, got healed, go, go and tell others, you are no longer deaf, you are no longer dumb, now you know the truth, go and impart the truth to others. And you see, what, what Jesus said uh, to this man, again, exercise, uh, to, to, in this situation, uh, again, it was exercising authority. Be opened. Deaf ears opened. Dumb mouth opened. This is what I'm sending you to do, to open the lives of people to the gospel, to the truth. Be open. It, it's as if, you know, Jesus is saying, have this sense of authority, of faith, when you go in my name, be opened. I mean, even, even when you're sort of talking to somebody about the gospel, in, in your heart you're saying, be opened. Uh -huh. Be open to the truth, receive the truth. Because behind what you're doing physically, there is this spiritual reality, and it's the spiritual reality that has the power. This is the point. Are you getting it? Yeah. So then we have the feeding of the 4,000. Amen? <laughs> and and uh, then Jesus talks about the yeast of the Pharisees and the Herodians. Be careful. Chapter uh, 8, verse 15. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Watch out for false teaching. Watch out for deception. Watch out for anything that is not the truth. Because that is going to undermine your ability to fulfill the mission that I send you on. Are you there? Then there's a healing of the blind man at Bethsaida. Why? Because when you take the gospel people not only get healed of their deafness and their dumbness, they get healed of their spiritual blindness. The evil one has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot respond to the gospel. 
but we go and open the eyes of the blind. Yes, God opens physical eyes. I've seen blind people physically heal, but there behind the physical reality is the spiritual truth that we go to heal people of their spiritual blindness as well. Praise God. And this is what God envisages will happen. And so we come then to this key moment when Peter confesses who Jesus is at Caesarea Philippi. Uh, verse 29, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. Now, immediately they know who he is. Jesus begins to prophesy this series of prophecies about the fact that he's going to be rejected, crucified, but on the third day he will rise again. But he also clarifies everything that he has been developing, if you like, throughout his ministry. We're just getting a very quick overview. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. Not take up Jesus' cross. Je Jesus' cross, we all, we all know about what that involved and what it signified. But he was saying, Ev everybody who follows me is going to have a cross. So I've had a cross to carry. You have a cross to carry. If you ever think you're going to follow Jesus without having a cross, you're, you're in total delusion. Now, what is this cross going to involve? Well, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. If you're trying to follow Jesus just because you want to be saved, you'll lose what you think you have. Right? Because the whole purpose of coming to faith in Jesus is that you go in his name and become part of his mission in the world. Amen? To feed the multitude. To, to feed uh, the Gentiles as well as Jews to heal people of their spiritual deafness and dumbness and blindness, to enable the powers of evil that have gripped their lives to be overcome so that they are delivered and set free. So whoever, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. That's your cross. Your cross, you see, the cross for Jesus was to lose his life physically. The cross for you is to lose your life spiritually. So that instead of living for yourself, you're living for Jesus, and the only way in which you can live for Jesus is by living for others. So you live the gospel to communicate the gospel, to be a witness of the gospel, to take the gospel to whoever to whoever, to whoever's lives you touch in one way or another. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, 
the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And then we come to the, the last event that we'll look at this morning. The transfiguration. Jesus has been with his disciples for three years or so. They have seen what he's done. They have heard what he said. They have witnessed the various ways in which he exercised his authority that comes with the anointing that he received for his ministry. What they couldn't see was the glory that lay behind all of this. That actually everything that Jesus was saying and doing was for the glory of his Father, not for his own glory. He even said, didn't he, that if I, seek, if I sought glory for myself, it would mean nothing. And if you ever seek glory for yourself, it will mean absolutely nothing. Jesus lived to glorify the Father. But in glorifying the Father, he was himself glorified. You remember when he, he um, said in, in John 12, Glor uh, Father, glorify the Son. He said, I have glorified it, and you glorified him, you will be glorified again. Or glorify your name. I have glorified it, you will be glorified again. You see... It's the glory that transfigures the situation, that transforms the situation. So they come down from the mountain, and there the other nine disciples are failing to heal the boy. But you see, because Jesus has the glory, now he's no longer shining with the glory, right? But now they know he is the glorious one. So what happens? The glory of God comes into the situation and the boy is healed. What the nine could not do because they were simply watching the manifestations of, of evil that were happening in the boy, instead of keeping their focus on, on the victory, on, on God, uh, who is able to overcome. But Jesus, you see, comes with the transfiguring glory of God into the situation. And this is what God wants us to understand, that we belong to the glory. Do you remember when Jesus prayed for all those, not just his present disciples, but in John 17, when he prayed for all those who will become disciples, he said, I have given them the glory that you gave me. Now, the glory that the Father gave Jesus was, became visible to the disciples up that Mount of Transfiguration. The evidence of that glory was seen in all the things that Jesus said and did, cleansing lives, setting people free from their spiritual paralysis, setting the religious people free from the things that caused them to wither spiritually, overcoming the demonic powers, overcoming all the powers of sickness, the way that Jesus was able to overcome the natural order by stilling the storm and even walking on water. All this was the outworking of the glory. 
And what God says is, I've given you the glory that the Father gave me. That as you go, you take the glory of God. As you go, you take the victory of God. As you go, you take the anointing, the life, the love, the power of God that is able to overcome in every situation. Now, you see, the nine that were failing to heal the boy did not anticipate victory. But with the anointing that was on Jesus, he always anticipated victory in every situation. And he always had victory in every situation. When, of course, the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples in Pentecost, you see that in the Acts of the Apostles, they expect victory. And this is what, this is what God is saying to his people today. When you go in my name, you go in victory. You don't go to try to make things happen. You go in the overcoming, glorious, victorious power of God. So that lives are cleansed, set free from paralysis spiritually as well as physically, and all the rest that we've talked about. Are you, are you there? Are you with me? Hallelujah. And then Jesus talks about who is the greatest. Who is going to be effective in continuing my ministry? And he comes out with the answer that people would least expect. The least. My little children. The humble ones. Because I haven't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. I've come to serve. And the ones who will be powerful and effective in fulfilling their, my call upon their lives, fulfilling the call upon the church, glory in the church, will be, that's the uh, forum, uh, forum title this week, All that glory will be revealed through the most humble. The more humble, the more I will use people. Why? Because the more humble, the more dependent you are on the Lord. Not I, but Christ. Not Christ helping me to do something. Oh Lord, help me in this situation. No, no. Not I, but Christ. And you see, this is the thing that Paul understood. Paul, of course, was, was not a believer in Jesus while Jesus was, while, while all these things were happening. But Paul came to understand the secret is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's not me trying to do something. I know I can't do anything, but I am one who bears the presence of Jesus. And the Jesus who is in me never fails. The Jesus in me overcomes. 
the Jesus in me does all those things now that he did then. So that the glory of God can be revealed in the world and the kingdom of God will come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you see, in Mark's gospel, there aren't long passages of teaching. There's just testimony of what Jesus did, but behind that is the spiritual reality. And of course, the, the Holy Spirit revealed all this, this to me, but he first did that way back in 1974. Because when I was asked to write the book about the revival that was taking place in Luton, one of the first issues I had to face is we'd seen God do so many things, miracles were happening literally, I mean major miracles were happening every week. What was I to put into the book and what was I to leave out? And God simply taught me, put into the book those events through which you learned something. Now, that book sold, I mean, it had an, an amazing, I, I don't even know how many, hundreds of thousands. And it's had a deep impact upon the lives of many people. But if you ever read When the Spirit Comes, there's hardly any teaching in it. But the impact of what we learned comes out through the events. And I can remember, I mean, I wasn't conscious of this at the time, but I can remember that when I wrote it, one of the most uh, important things was the sequence of events, of, of the sequence of the things that I was revealing, the things that God did, because that was like an unfolding of the teaching of, about what God was actually doing amongst us, how he taught us led to all those events. And then much, much later, I realized that the Holy Spirit had simply been leading me to do what Mark did, what the Holy Spirit cause Mark to do. Not long passages of teaching, but just the events. But behind the events is the spiritual reality of what God was doing among the people because of what he was teaching and because those disciples believed. So you see, this is the importance of testimony that we don't give testimony to boast about what God has done. But in deciding what testimony to give, when to give it, and how to give it, what part of our testimony to give should always be determined by what does God want to teach this person or this group 
or this congregation that you're addressing. Not, you know, can I boast about some great thing God has done? No. What does God want to teach through the events? That's the importance of witness. Not that people say, wow, what a mighty God. But they learn spiritual truths through your testimony. Let's all stand. Hallelujah. Have you learned something this morning? Let's come into the middle and Come on, respond. That's a command. Respond. Go. You've got to go in your spirit before you go with your feet. But hallelujah, you've got beautiful feet that spread the gospel of truth. Amen. Come on, this is... This is the mission. This is the mission God has for your whole life. To go in the name of Jesus. To go with the gospel. To go in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Oh, come on, it's too quiet. It's too quiet. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. The Spirit is within you. Everything, everything I've been teaching this morning is within you. It's all within you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The same Spirit that was in Jesus is in you. The same Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Gloria letto colosotteri santo. Basta calaria letto colosotteri santo ma. Hallelujah. Okay, now let's just pray. Go with the gospel of the kingdom. Repent and believe the good news. Why? Because this is what you have done. You have turned your life over to God in repentance. You believe in him. So now you are his ambassador of the truth. So thank the Lord. that he's going to use you to clean up unclean lives. To be clean.
Thank him for the way he cleans up your life. Through his mercy, keeps you clean so that you can see the lives of others cleaned up. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank the Lord that he's saved you from spiritual paralysis. Hallelujah. He has said, your sins are forgiven you. And thank him that he's given you authority to forgive sins in his name. That when people repent of their sins, you can give them the assurance of his, of his forgiveness. Your sins are forgiven you. You can say it. You can speak it. You can declare it in his name. Your sins are forgiven you. If you've never said it to anybody else, just believe that you're going to say it to at least 30, perhaps 60, even 100, or maybe 1,000. But again and again, you will say your sins are forgiven you. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank God that you're going to impact the lives of religious people that are withering spiritually. You know, there's just no life, there's no power, there's no authority. They're just there in church and, and doing their thing. But you want to bring them through to the full life of the kingdom of God. Amen? God is going to use you <laughs> to set withering people free from their withering. Hallelujah. Bring them into the fullness of the life of Jesus. Praise your holy name, Lord. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Praise you, praise you, praise you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank him that he's made you completely new. Hallelujah. That you are now light for the world. Amen. You are a lamp that shines the light of Christ out, touching the lives of, uh, of all those around you. Hallelujah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that the kingdom is within you. And as that kingdom life develops and grows within you, so you grow in authority. You grow in power. Hallelujah. Come on, tell the Lord, Lord, I want to grow in faith. I want to grow in authority. I want to grow in love. I want to grow in faith. Hallelujah. More and more of your authority, of your life, of your faith being manifested, being revealed, being expressed in my life. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. The mustard seed in my life is going to become a tree. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you've given me authority even over the natural order. 
Yes, 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 yes. That even in the natural order, I can command in your name. And what I command in your name will surely happen. Hallelujah. Thank you that your Holy Spirit will lead me. Thank you that your Holy Spirit will guide me so that I can overcome in the natural order just as Jesus did. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. You're going to use me to heal those that have been deaf to the gospel, those that have been dumb spiritually, those that have been blind to the truth. Thank you that deaf ears are going to be opened. Not just physically, but spiritually deaf ears are going to be opened. Dumb mouths are going to be opened. Hallelujah. Not just to praise you, but to be your witnesses. Hallelujah. Blind eyes, not just physically, but the blind spiritually are going to be opened. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You even give me authority over death. And it could be that the dead are going to be raised. If ever you put me in that situation, Lord, I know that you will give me the authority to speak your word in your name. That I have the anointing that overcomes death. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, thank you that you want me to be one of those that is going to feed the multitude. Hallelujah. And as I feed the multitude, I'm going to have a fishing basket full of abundance. Hallelujah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. I praise you, Lord. I bless you. I bless you. Thank you, Lord, you send me to Jews. Thank you that you send me to Gentiles. Thank you that you send me to whoever is open to hear and receive the gospel. And I praise you and I bless you. Thank you, Lord, you have given me a cross, but it isn't the cross you carried for me. Oh, thank you, Lord, I don't have to carry that cross, that I was crucified with you. That cross is history, but thank you that you have a cross for me. To deny myself, take up that cross, follow after you, be faithful in my part in fulfilling your mission in the world today. Thank you that the mission today is still the same mission as when you were on earth. The word is the same. The spirit is the same. The truth is the same. Hallelujah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. And Lord, I want to be numbered amongst the greatest simply because I know I'm a servant. Thank you, Lord, that you are humble and gentle of heart. Thank you, Lord, that in giving me a new heart, you have put your humility and your gentleness within me. Thank you, Lord, that, that each one of us in this room has that new heart. Each one of us has that humble heart. And we say no to the pride of the flesh. And we say yes to the humility of the Spirit. Palaria leto 
Palaria letto Golazotri Sandaria letto Papaparazundama. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Paloria letto Golazotri Sandaria Lenama. Now, Lord, finally this morning, we pray that we will learn this lesson from Mark's gospel. That we will communicate the gospel not only by the things we say, but by what we do, or rather, what you do through us, through events, not just through words. Help us to understand that to preach the gospel is a matter of events as well as words. And we don't seek those events for ourselves. But Lord, we need those events that are going to enable us to be more effective communicators of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, that revivals are full of events. And thank you that we are experiencing more and more events in the church here. Spiritual events, transformed lives, healed lives, people set free. The deaf, hearing, the dumb speaking, the blind seeing. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. And thank you that all of us in this room are going to see those events multiplying in our lives, increasing, so we become more and more effective in communicating the gospel. And we give you glory. Come on, let's just praise the Lord. Come on, really praise him. <coughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Pororia lato colosoto di Santama. Calare, come on, let's have some praise now. Let's have some praise. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. If we went on in Mark, we would come to the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Behind that reality is your triumphal entry into heaven. Hallelujah. Like Jesus, having first accomplished all that God has called you to do. Let that be your faith. Lord, I believe that I will accomplish everything that you've called me to do so that when the time comes that you call me home I will enter triumphantly into your glorious heavenly kingdom thank you Jesus oh let's have a shout of praise hallelujah thank you Lord thank you Jesus Amen. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. 
For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.